as His presence is here, let's come before Him. Full surrender. When we lift up His praise to you from our heart. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. Yes, it's so good. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain. That's right. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Yes, surround us with your presence, Lord. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe. And we proclaim this today, church. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you
Father, we proclaim your victory.
Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst or a drink from the well? Jesus is calling.
never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It is shown by the death of your son for us. For the blood was spilt to rescue us while we were wandering. He is our sure and steady hope. And so as we worship, let's reflect on God's faithfulness over every life here. The sacrifice of the cross, the redeeming blood of Christ, and how he has helped us. So let us sing authentic praise to the one most worthy who come before you now. Yes, come thou fountain, every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise, church. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming But neither hither by thy help I come, and I hope thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Cause Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to Here's my 
confess to him now, wholehearted today. We sing prone to wander. It's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Yes, he hears your heart, church. Would you offer it to him now? He hears you. Yes, he hears me. Tell him now again, here's my heart. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for God. Lord to God. Is how we need you. Is how we need you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you for your grace. Yes, it's uncomparable. Thank you. Is how we need you. Yes, God, we thank you for your presence in this moment. Father, this is a holy moment that your word can do the hearts of your people. This is what happens in worship. This is what happens in surrender, God, where you can pierce the flesh, where you can speak directly to the hearts of the broken, of the hurting, of the lost. And no matter how far we wander, no matter how far we stray, your arms are there. Your arms are open wide for every lost soul, for every sinner. And it is one. And you want it for us? God, what merciful grace that we've encountered through you. So, Father, you are worthy of every word of this worship, every note sung on our lips. You are worthy of every hallelujah, God. Have your way, because you are so, 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 so good. God, we thank you for this time where we could commune with you directly. United as one is God's house. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. There's nothing like worshiping God united in this house, right? Well, hey, let's welcome each other this one. Turn to your neighbors and let's make us feel welcome today as family in God's house. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Man, it's good to be at church today. It's good to be here in the building. It's good to be here with our online community. And uh, man, God is good. I lived in the Tri-Cities for the last five years, so it's supposed to be like 100 degrees outside right now, so I'm like adjusting, but uh, God's still good. Uh, my name is Darius. I'm one of the pastors here at MRCC. I love being a pastor here at MRCC. I help out in the youth department and with leadership development and some of our staff. I also lead our young adults and uh, young couples ministry that meets on Sunday nights here at the church at 6. I'm excited because tonight we're going to have a hangout and play some games and have some coffee and grill some burgers. So that's kind of some of the stuff that's going on with me right now. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple of things that are happening in our church family because one of the things I love about our even just our greeting time that we just had, our, our hangout time, is that we're, a, we're not just a church that's a 
corporate, sit here, sing things, go through lines, but we're a, we're a family at MRCC, and so a few kind of like family things that are happening is one is that next week we have our church picnic, speaking of like family events, and, and so next week after our third service in the morning around noon, uh, we're going to have a picnic, we'll have inflatables for all of our kids, and all of our kids, not for you grown people, and uh, but what, here's what we do have though, seriously, the picnic's going to be a lot of fun, but um, we want to make sure that our picnic uh, happens well and that there's we've got everything kind of taken care of so we are still have about 25 opportunities for people uh, to jump in and join the team uh, in the seat pocket in front of you there's actually a little card it's called a connect card you can go ahead and get that out and take a look at it or if you don't want to pull the physical card out you can scan the qr code there on the seat in front of you with your phone but if you take that card and you just write down your name and you write down picnic we'll help plug you into a place to serve uh, one of the reasons that we want to do that is we're trying to make it so that everyone can serve for 30 or 45 minutes at a time and kind of rotate on a schedule, doing different stuff so that you can serve, get on the team, celebrate Jesus, and then jump off and go enjoy the rest of the picnic with your friends and family. If you have never volunteered or served or gotten involved doing anything in that way at MRCC, this is the easiest, coolest, best way to jump on the team and say, hey, I don't really know like where I fit in like the volunteer teams of the church, but I want to be involved. This is a perfect place to jump in and just say, hey, I'm here, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. Anyway, again, you can just write your name and write picnic down on your Connect card or on that digital Connect card, or you can email the office at mrccnow.org. The second thing that's cool as a family that we're celebrating is we're celebrating our graduates uh, because we have lots of people that are graduating from high school, and uh, we want to celebrate next Sunday. We're going to have a picture or a video that's going to go up of all of those. If you want to send us an embarrassing photo of the graduate that you love, go ahead and do that. What we want is actually a baby photo, if you can, and an, like a graduation photo. So um, we would love that. If you get those to us by the 9th this week, that'd be awesome. You can email Josh at mrccnow.org. Josh is our primary youth pastor, and he'll help get those so that we can celebrate our graduates next Sunday. And the third thing uh, is this, and this is really, really cool, uh, is our annual business meeting. Okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, that is how I generally feel about the words business and meeting together. I was talking with Pastor Greg this week, and he said something really cool to me. He said, you know, Darius, at uh, MRCC, our annual business meeting is a family moment. It's a moment where we get to come together as a family, as a community, and we get to celebrate the goodness of God. We get to look back at the last year and see, man, look, if we look back at the last year, church family, and look at what God has done in our church, it's powerful. God has taken us through some very difficult times, and we stand here today on the grace and favor of God. We also get to look forward. We're going to look at our building plans and look at the next years and how God's going to continue to expand our church and help us reach more people uh, with the gospel. So anyway, we're excited about all of that. If you want to come to the annual business meetings on June 27th at 6 p.m., uh, if you're a member of MRCC officially. We have some voting that'll happen, a couple of quick things. If you're not a member, please still, if you want to, come hang out and be a part of that moment with us. No pressure, uh, but we'd love to celebrate with you. So uh, go ahead and get your Bible out. We're going to go to the book of Habakkuk today, and Pastor Greg's going to teach from the Bible. Oh, thank you, Darius. And uh, thank you, worship team. They were remarkable this morning, weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think so. 
I think so. Looking forward to the picnic uh, next week. Looking forward to starting this new teaching series. But first, I want to invite somebody to join me on the platform who, who, who many of us know, but not all of us know. Heather Haney, would you come on up front and join us? Yeah, 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 yeah. We can clap for Heather, sure, if we want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let, let me give a, just a thumbnail uh, for those of us who may not know Heather. Uh, Heather grew up here at MRCC. She went to kids church, youth group, and from here to college to study for the ministry as a medical missionary. She's a registered nurse, uh, went to my alma mater, so we're both Eagles, go Eagles, and she has been serving in Africa as a medical missionary for the last five years. Every time I tell this story, I get so excited about what God is doing now with all those kids down the hall, what he's preparing now with all of our young people on Wednesday nights. Those callings are happening like they happened in Heather's life. And we as a church have been a huge part of sending her and sustaining and supporting her on the field. So just for a couple of minutes, I've asked Heather to share a little bit about the mission that she does in Niger. And then she is going to be available uh, at the table in the foyer afterwards if you would like to connect uh, with her, find out a little bit more about what she's doing and how maybe you can get involved. Heather, tell us a little bit about Niger. Hi, you guys. It's such a pleasure to be here this morning. So yes, this morning I'm going to share just a couple quick stories about how God has been working in my life and in Niger. First thing I want to share, though, is that I will be getting married as soon as I Woo! go back in August. Yeah, this is him. That's Simeon. He is also a Christian nurse, and we met working at the hospital over there. So we definitely appreciate your prayers as we move forward into that, into marriage. So um, I thought it would be kind of fun today, since we're at church, to see what a church looks like over in Niger. So on the next slide, you will see the church that I attend there. Now, the pastor and his wife are such hard workers. When he's not caring for us as a pastor on Sunday, my pastor is an evangelist at our hospital, and they are also farmers. So this photo, the big one, was taken just around harvest time. They'd just taken peanuts from their field, and they put them on top of the church so that they could dry out and the animals wouldn't get at them. Um, so it is not unusual during a church service for some chickens to come through. Sometimes a rabbit will come and make itself at home near your feet. There's a little picture of that up there, too. So it's a little different than MRCC. Uh, next story I wanted to share with you guys is a really, really cool one. Um, so this happened just about two years ago. Um, I was over working in Niger in the surgical department, and the woman that is in the picture up there, I'm going to keep her name quiet just um, for security reasons, and that's also why I blacked out her part of her face, but she was um, in a motorcycle accident, and if that wasn't bad enough, she ended up getting robbed. She's laying there on the side of the road and gets robbed. So she comes into the hospital, which is the clothes on her back, which I had to cut off of her because she had a pelvic fracture. She had a femur fracture. She was so broken. Now, she was not from Niger, and, but she was from a French-speaking country, so I was able to share with her. I would start to make meals for myself and make a little extra and take it to her. Um, and sit with her, and I brought in a Bible, and we would talk, and I shared a little bit about my heart, why I came to Niger, being able to share the love of Jesus with people, and she said, you know, I feel that here at the hospital. She goes, if I was taken pretty much anywhere else, there's a good chance that they would have turned me away and let me die because I couldn't pay. She goes, but not here, not at this Christian hospital. So the picture of her laying on the bed was the day that she asked me to pray with her, and she asked Jesus to be her Lord and Savior. Yeah, can I hear an amen? Yeah. 
Um, and then the other picture of her standing was the day before we sent her home. Um, so please be praying for her as a new believer, as she's able to share her faith with her friends and family in an area where um, Christianity is not always accepted. So the next story I wanted to share with you just happened this past year, kind of during COVID and everything. Um, you'll be able to see a picture of the outside of our hospital and then one of our surgical department. So there was a gentleman that came in and had to have a surgery. And afterwards, I was caring for him and kind of asked him, okay, have you ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you ever heard about him before? And he told me, I have. It was once. And he was probably around 60 years old, you guys. And so he told me it had been almost 40 years earlier when he was at our hospital. There had been a little girl in his family sick for several months, and he'd come and help care for her. And he said that was the one and only time he'd ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ until he came again this time. And I share that story. His name was, his name was Abdu, and I just share that story because, you guys, this is why I do what I do. There are still people over there that are living and dying without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ. And we, as a church, get to be part of taking the gospel to hard places like Niger. Like that hospital is such a beacon of light in the community. Without it, he and many others never would have heard the name of Jesus Christ. So I just want to thank you guys before I hand it over to Pastor Greg again just for partnering with me. I just called Pastor Greg up last week and said we've got a couple emergent needs. Um, and he said, how can we help? Um, so MRCC as a church family just um, helped get us 20 medical car medication carts over there and then um, three baby scales. So anyways, just a little random applause. Thank you all. Yeah. Would you, would you join me in praying for Heather as she gets ready to go back? I told her two things are going to happen when you go to Africa, your missions ministry, and you're going to get married. And now the second one is happening. So uh... Miracles, man. Miracles. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for what you have done in our sister's life, God, and we thank you for the testimony that she brings of how you're bearing fruit in her ministry. And God, we, we hear these stories that she shared with us, but we know there's so much more that goes on in little ways behind the scenes that touches the lives of people every day. God, we pray your blessing on her mission. We thank you for letting us be a part of it. And God, we pray that you would continue to multiply her impact there as she and Simeon come together to reflect your glory in even greater ways. We pray for that. We ask your blessing on her and thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah. What a wonderful story of what happens through God's church when we remain steady and faithful over time. Uh, you know, Heather grew up here, and it was through that experience that God called her. So I, I think every time I, I see the kids gathering down the hall, every time the youth comes together on Wednesday night, how are we, as the grown-ups, helping create the environment in which God can give those kinds of calls? Neat stuff. And by the way, for just a little bit of perspective, you know, it's easy for us to think we've had a tough time in the last year with COVID and everything. I was talking with Heather. She's a frontline medical professional working in a hospital, and uh, she shared something with me that, that, that just I can't forget. She said, you know, Pastor Greg, over this little over a year that we've been dealing with COVID, 
do you know how many masks I've been given in order to work on the front lines? Now, let me tell you, when I go to a hospital here and I visit someone who's dealing with COVID, I change my mask three times because <laughs> they make you go through this whole thing and you have to throw it away and then get a new one. She, I, she said, Pastor Greg, do you know how many masks I've been given over the last year? I said, no. She pulled it out of her pocket. One. One for the year. And it is amazing to think of God's protection and keeping over her for this last year, but, but how we have so much and so many have so little. So when she shared that with me, I said, Heather, is there some ways our church can help that hospital? What don't you have? And uh, is there some equipment you need? How can we bless your ministry? <laughs> you know, I was prepared for her to give me a laundry list, but she's too humble. She's too shy. So she wrote me back the next day and said, well, our church only has one baby scale that we use in our maternity ward. We've had it for almost 40 years and it just broke. Do you think we could get a new baby scale? So we bought them three baby scales, so they're not going to run out again. I said, come on, Heather, you can do better than that. She said, well, we don't have any medication carts. You know, those carts you see in hospitals that they take everything around to the different rooms, and we don't have any at all. Uh, do you think the church could help us out? So we as a church just yesterday sent them 20 new medical carts, and, and we're able to do that kind of stuff, friends, because we're so faithful in giving. So thank you for that, and I know Heather appreciates that, but even more, uh, God is using us still in that ministry, and we'll continue to going forward. So great stuff. Um, grab your Bible this morning, open it to Habakkuk. That's way back in your Old Testament. Don't be ashamed if you have to go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible and look up Habakkuk in order to find the page number. It's okay. Page 971 in my Bible, but I don't know where it is in yours. But uh, Habakkuk, I, I, I'm really excited about this series. I've called it the Magnificent Seven. I just came up with that completely on my own. Never heard that idea anywhere before. No, it, it has nothing to do with cowboys. Although it's funny, uh, one lady in the church let me know. She said, man, when we got your sermon card in the mail, my husband immediately went and rented that movie. That was not my purpose, all right? That was not where I was going with that. But um, what I want to do is, is help us encounter some, some people of God that most of us never encounter. And those are the minor prophets, some of the minor prophets, seven of them, in fact. And these are people through whom and to whom God spoke powerfully about the same kinds of things we deal with here and now. I remember being in a Christian concert not long after I got saved and the, the speaker up front, Steve Camp, I'm dating myself a little bit, he said, if you've never read the Minor Prophets, you owe it to yourself to read the Minor Prophets. I was working in the Naval Hospital at the time. I set aside my lunch hour to go down to the chapel and start reading the Minor Prophets, these strangely named characters in my Bible that I knew nothing about. And that was the first time I ever cried reading the Bible was when for the first time I read through Hosea. We're going into Hosea next week. But this morning, I want to introduce you to a guy named Habakkuk, to what he had to say and to what God is saying to us today through him still. And let me begin by asking you this. Do you know what an optical illusion is? I mean, raise your hand. You know what an optical, right? We've all seen optical illusions at one time or another. An optical illusion is something that seems to be impossible, even though you're looking right at it. And it happens because your brain doesn't yet understand what you're looking at. Uh, our brains are marvelous, interesting instruments, and when they take in stimuli and turn it into information, you know, sometimes things can go a little haywire. So I came across a couple of optical illusions that have gone viral just this spring. Maybe you saw this one somewhere on your social media, <laughs> this ship. This is off the coast of Southeast England. Now, let me tell you, this is not Photoshop. This is not software. This is not a trick. 
All right? Guy was driving along the coast. He came around a corner and he saw this. How would you react if you saw this? He immediately got out of his car and went, oh my goodness. And he took a picture, sent it to his wife. She put it on social media and, you know, social media went nuts about it. What is that? How is that? Well, the reality is this happens occasionally. It's a weird confluence of atmosphere and evaporation and light waves bending, and it makes the ship look like it's floating in the air. You know, if you sit there and watch it for any length of time, 15, 20 minutes, eventually that, that atmospheric thing will resolve and it'll go back down on the water. But for the moment, it's pretty, pretty attention-grabbing. Uh, here, here's another one. Here's another optical illusion that went viral. Maybe you saw this one. Looks like this little girl is like disappearing into the sidewalk. And, and when you look at it, the more you look at it, it's like, how is that possible? Once again, it's not Photoshop or anything. Let me help your brain a little bit. If you're struggling to understand the picture that you're looking at, focus on the shadows under her arms. And very quick, your brain will go, oh yeah, she's sitting on the ground and there's a wall there and, and she's next to the wall. She's not disappearing into the sidewalk. But the optical illusion makes you think at first that she is. One more optical illusion. You see this every year. On the left, it's the Mariners at the beginning <laughs> of the season, right? And, and if you just look at the left, you could think, hey, we might win this year. But then on the right, reality comes back and, and you realize that you are looking at an optical illusion. You with me? Optical illusions can be fun. But they can also be disturbing. Sometimes they hit us emotionally and affect us emotionally. I think of a, an optical illusion that our son went through, Isaiah. He was about six years old. We were living in Idaho at the time. We made plans with another family in the church that we were going to go to Disneyland together. We are going to take a road trip, drive down the coast, camp, go to Disneyland. Their kids, our son, it was going to be a great time. And it just so happened that when the weekend came for us to leave, on that Friday, we're going to leave Saturday morning, on that Friday, one of those, you know, little herky-jerky traveling carnivals pulled into town, you know, six, eight rides, and you feel like you're taking your life into your hands when you climb on anything or eat anything there, right? So one of these little carnivals rolled into town and set up at the mall, and of course, our son, six years old, he saw it. Dad, can we go to the carnival? <laughs> son, we're going to Disneyland, man. Yeah, this is nothing. We're leaving tomorrow and going to Disneyland. But he, all he could see was that. And I still remember, Rhonda and I still remember, as we drove out of town with the other family in our big conversion van, we headed out of town, and he was looking out the window at the carnival and crying. <laughs> he had no idea what was really going on. Two days later, of course, when we got to Anaheim, whole different story. Now he's ecstatic. I share that story with you because Habakkuk, the prophet, felt a little like Isaiah did that morning. He felt like somebody who was seeing an optical illusion. We're going to hear him cry out to God, and then we're going to hear God answer him. What would happen if you were lamenting, pouring out your frustrations and your hurts and your questions for God, and suddenly he showed up and answered them? Habakkuk is going to have that experience. And then when God talks to him and tells him what he's going to do, Habakkuk is going to get even more confused. But then by the end of the story, Habakkuk is going to offer one of the most profound expressions of faith in, in the whole Bible. So Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, lots of people assume the Old Testament prophets are irrelevant to here and now and today. You're going to see that nothing could be further from the truth. These prophets, by the way, were Jesus' Bible. If you had gone to church with Jesus in his day, this is the Bible you would have been listening to, hearing preached and taught. 
This is the Bible of Peter and Paul and James. And Habakkuk is an ordinary person like you and me through whom God speaks to us about ordinary everyday living. So chapter one, beginning with verse one, let's listen to the prophet. He begins with a lament. Listen to what he says. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence and you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? My goodness, this could be the headline snatch from today's newspapers. This could be your prayers as you lie alone in your bed at night. By the way, if you don't know what a newspaper is, talk to somebody about my age and they'll tell you what it is. There's a few of us. He says, destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous and justice is perverted. It would be impossible to find a more contemporary lament. This is what you and I think and feel in our world today. It's what every thinking person feels as we hear or read or watch the news. And Habakkuk is feeling that in spades. Understand, he feels it acutely because he is a believer. You see, when you and I know that God is there, we have expectations. And sometimes it feels like those expectations aren't being met. Certainly that's how Habakkuk feels. We must understand that expectations, our expectations come from our small perspective and God has a much bigger one that he's going to reveal. Uh, to understand this, just ask yourself how much of what you do week to week and month to month is fully understood by your children? How much do they grasp what you're doing for them, what you want for them, how you feel about them? Yeah, much of what you do is a mystery to them. Uh, Ron and I are learning as we approach 60 that this is still true even with adult kids. The older we get, the more we see that we can do for them, the less that they perceive the significance of it sometimes. Habakkuk is feeling that in this moment, and he's feeling it. Catch this, church. He's feeling about Israel, about the people of God, about his own people, who he knows should know better. Israel was meant to be an example to the world, to point people to God, but Israel has wandered far from that reality. Sometimes we look around at the church of Jesus in our day and age, and we see so many flaws We say to ourselves, how can the church, how can the people of God be so flawed? Habakkuk is feeling that. Israel is is riddled with what the prophets called idolatry, a thing which is very much alive here and now today. It happens when we worship anything else more than God, when we ascribe worth to anything more than God. It happens when we worship our careers. It happens when we worship our hobbies. Happens when we worship our families. Happens when we worship our kids. Happens when we worship religion instead of a living God. Idolatry is rife in Israel. People are ascribing value to every other thing, their economy, their politics, their culture. And Israel is striven with oppression and injustice The prophets of Habakkuk's day are going to particularly call attention to the fact that Israel has become indifferent to the alien and the refugee. 
even though God repeatedly and explicitly in his word commanded Israel to open her doors to the alien and the refugee. But they're not. They're turning away from that. Israel is indifferent to the poor. They've marginalized the poor, pushed them to the edge. In fact, Ezekiel, another contemporary of Habakkuk, is going to say in chapter 16, verses 49 to 50, that the reason God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was because of their indifference to the poor. The homosexuality that we often attribute to as the trigger was just the the thing in the moment. The reality was their indifference to the poor. And Habakkuk is seeing that in Israel, and he grieves about it. He laments about it because he cares. Listen to me, friends. The evidence that we are walking with God is not a sublime indifference to the world's problems. That's Buddhism. The people of God grieve and hurt and weep over the world's brokenness. And if you feel that angst, if you feel that heart, rejoice. That's the evidence that your spirit is healthy. I remember the first time I attended a a Latino funeral service. Close friends of ours, she was Latino by heritage and and, uh, her brother died young tragically and we went to Idaho to attend this funeral with their family and I had never experienced anything like that. We went to the church, pulled into the parking lot, got out of the car and people are laying all across the church lawn. They're wailing, they're crying out, they're holding each other on the steps. We had to climb over them to get into the building. People are laying on the floor. Clumps of people are screaming and crying out. It clearly was not a white Anglo-Saxon funeral. (laughs) There was no stiff upper lips in that place. And I thought to myself, there's so many ways to grieve. But God loves them all. When you and I hurt for the brokenness of the world around us, that delights our Father deeply. It's likely that Jesus was thinking of Habakkuk and the other minor prophets when he said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because that means something's right with you. It means something's the way it should be. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I just want to escape all this. I want to get away from it all. But when we hurt for the brokenness of our world, we discover and share the heart of our Father. Habakkuk is crying out like Job did. He's crying out like Jesus did on the cross. You remember what the Lord said from the cross, the very Son of God? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are those who say that such an expression is an evidence of a lack of faith. I say, baloney. Jesus cried out from the cross that very feeling There's a lie that says faith never feels this way. Faith does feel like this sometimes, and then it trusts the character of God anyway. It obeys and trusts Him anyway because faith knows who He is. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Habakkuk laments. He pours out his heart, and then here's the startling thing. God answers him. How would you feel if God suddenly showed up to answer your lament? Maybe you're crying out to God in bed at night or in the car or at work or in the shower and suddenly God showed up to answer your question. might be a little uncomfortable if you were in the shower. But in the other cases, imagine how you would feel. God shows up to answer Habakkuk's lament. I think it was George Carlin, somebody who I don't often quote from the pulpit. (laughs) who said this. He said, sometimes I want to ask God why he allows such suffering to go on in the world when he has the power to stop it. 
But then I'm afraid he might ask me the same question. God shows up to answer Habakkuk. And listen to what he says. Look at verses 5 and 6. God says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And at this point, everything in in Habakkuk is rising up. Yay, God's announcing his judgment. This is going to be awesome. And then God says, without breaking cadence, God says, I am raising up the Babylonians. At which point, Habakkuk's eyebrows would have crawled right off his forehead. The Babel, whoa, time out, stop. Now God goes on in the rest of chapter one to describe the fierceness, the, the, the depravity, the violence of the Babylonians. And he says, I'm raising them up to deal with this problem in Israel, to deal with this problem among the people of God. You know, it's difficult for us to grasp what that moment felt like to Habakkuk. If you want to get a little bit of a sense of it, imagine that God showed up right here today, this morning, in a visible, audible way, and he said, you know what? I know that this nation is wicked and filled with sin, so I'm going to bring a a redeeming judgment. I'm going to bring a healing fire to America. I'm bringing the Taliban over to fix the problems in America. You and I would go, Whoa, what? How can that possibly be the way forward? Now, do you know why we ask that question? Do you know why Habakkuk is taken back? It's because way down deep inside, in places he hasn't been paying attention to, he's decided that Israel is better than the Babylonians, that he is better than the Babylonians. And so as a consequence, he's shocked that God would use them. You see, church, when we think that righteousness is a contest to see who's best, we can end up confused. But when we remember, like our Bible says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the freely given gift of grace, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, then... Everything looks different. You see, what Habakkuk hasn't grasped yet is that the gospel isn't God rewarding the good guys and punishing the bad guys, so much as it is God giving his grace to all the bad guys who humble themselves and confess their sin. He doesn't grasp that yet. Like us, Habakkuk had a tendency to get superstitious about Israel. To think that Israel, just by its very nature, was better than the surrounding nations. And that somehow, if he just held on to that good luck charm, everything would be fine. Friends, a major theme of the Old Testament, and of the prophets in particular, is God punishing Israel. Sending Israel into exile. Taking away the land from them. Jesus echoed this spirit when he warned the Jews of his day in Matthew chapter 21. He said, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. John the Baptist said the same thing to the Jews who rushed out to him, trumpeting their genealogical history as Israelites, as Jews. John the Baptist said, don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, don't get superstitious about your national identity. 
counts for nothing in the salvation history of the kingdom of Christ. Habakkuk doesn't grasp this at first. So look at what he says in verse 13. Listen to how he responds to God's announcement that he's going to raise up the Babylonians. Habakkuk says to God, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Hear this. While the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. (laughs) And in that moment, Habakkuk's wrong heart is revealed. He thinks of himself as better than them. You know, this is the reason Jesus taught the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Do you remember that story? Find it in Luke chapter 20. Jesus said there was a a master of a vineyard and he went out at the beginning of the day and hired some workers to go to work in his field and and agreed to pay him a day's wages. Great story. About halfway through the morning, he did it again, hired some more. Lunchtime, hired some more and said, I'll pay you whatever's fair at the end of the day. Kept doing this all afternoon. There was only an hour left in the day and he's still hiring people. Jesus says payday came at the end of the day and the ones who worked the last hour only were first in line and they were given a day's wages. And seeing this, those further back in the line who'd been there all day thought, wow, we're going to get more. But there wasn't more. Those who worked three hours got a day's wage. Those who worked six hours got a day's wage. Those who worked the whole day got a day's wage. And in the story Jesus tells, those who'd worked the whole day were upset and angry. They said, hey, what is this? And the master said, are you envious because I'm generous? You agreed to work for a day's wages. Why are you upset that I show grace to someone else? And Jesus tells that story because through that story, my assumption that I'm better than somebody else is exposed. Your assumption that you're better than somebody else is exposed. God uses Babylon to expose Habakkuk and Israel's assumption that they're better than their neighbor's. Now, don't misunderstand, at the end of the day, God can and will put everything right. The only question is whether you and me will confess our sin and that we need a Savior, just like the Babylonians, just like whoever falls on the other side of the equations we build up in our heads and hearts. God answers Habakkuk's complaint with a simple redirect. Chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. God says, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. In other words, God says, I'm bringing perfect judgment to every situation. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. We are meant to take confidence in that, to rest in that. And then God says, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. That quote is picked up by the New Testament writers over and over again. Paul does it in Romans. In Galatians, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, the righteous will live by faith. The battle cry of the Reformation that created the Protestant church that you and I as a part of is that the righteous will live by faith. What does it mean? It means that a confidence in who God is trumps whatever we think we see. A confidence in who God is trusts whatever we think we see. In other words, the righteous person puts their hope in God's grace and their faith in God's promise to judge all evil at its root eventually and then waits patiently because they're sure of God's character. That's his message to Israel. It's his message to Babylon. It's his message to us. Faith trusts God's 
character. Trust who he is. I remember uh, years ago, my wife worked for the Thurston County Sheriff's Office. And it just so happened that she was one of two people who had access to the evidence locker on a particular afternoon when $10,000 in confiscated drug money disappeared from the evidence locker. My wife and one other person. You can imagine how Rhonda felt. So the detective comes to speak to her and says, hey, you're one of two. It's either you or the other one. Rhonda says, it's not me. I'm telling you, I didn't do that. You know? And they said, well, will you take a lie detector test? She said, sure, sign me up. I'll take it today if you want. So they took her into a lie detector test. Now, Rhonda runs marathons. She's hardcore about that kind of thing, exercising. And so her, 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 her metabolism is pretty low, her pulse, blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. So she went in to take the lie detector test, and her vital signs were too low for them to get an accurate reading. <laughs> so they're trying to get a baseline on her, and they can't, which means she can't clear her name. She can't exonerate herself. She's dying a thousand deaths. It's not me. I didn't do it. Here's the pastor's wife, who evidently took $10,000 from the evidence locker. But you know what? Through that whole journey, you guys, I had not the slightest doubt that it was Rhonda. I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt it wasn't Rhonda because I know who Rhonda is. I know her character. I know her fear of God. I know her love for God. It wouldn't happen. It just didn't happen. So they said, well, you can't pass the lie detector test. Will your husband take the test? She said, sure he will. I'll tell him to show up. So I came down and took it. They had no problem getting a baseline on me. Uh, Asked a bunch of questions. And it was a couple of days later when the other person was scheduled for their test that they disappeared to Europe and then the truth came out. But it was a truth I already knew because I know who she is. That's what God seeks from us. A confidence in his character that sustains us when we don't understand the optical illusion of what's going on in our world. The confidence in who God is. Habakkuk tells us in chapter 2, verse 14, God tells Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Habakkuk reminds us in chapter 3, verse 6, that God's ways are eternal. They are eternal bigger than our ways. They cover a larger perspective. And it is our confidence in his character that sustains us. The Sora News Service in Japan ran a story in 2015 about a goldfish who became a hero. He was thrown into a tank as food for the bigger, prettier, more expensive fish. But somehow, when they threw him into the tank, he slipped into the water filtration tank and spent the next seven years there, growing to be 10 inches long and becoming a mascot for the whole fish store staff. Eventually, he ended up getting his own tank, and now people come and pay a little fee to see the goldfish that grew and survived in the filtration tank. When he went into the tank, it didn't look promising, but God was at work. And that is what God is saying to and through Habakkuk. At the end, Habakkuk understands and says something awesome and profound as we finish this morning. In chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, Habakkuk, hearing this back and forth with God, says this. He says, yes, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God my Savior. And then he says, underline this, if you have your Bible open, the sovereign Lord 
is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk confesses three things here at the end. He says, I will wait patiently. Friends, peace comes when you lose your fear of waiting. (laughs) I don't know how long it's going to take for God to bring about his final perfect redemption and judgment. But I've learned to wait patiently for it. When we choose to wait patiently, then we lose our fear of waiting. Remember when I was stationed in Iceland overseas and they would send us midweek the videotapes of the Seahawk game. And inevitably, by the time the tape got there, we already knew the score. And sometimes we would know they were going to win, but at the beginning it looked pretty bad. (laughs) But we had a peace as we watched the beginning because we already knew the final score. And we knew that somehow this whole thing was going to turn around. Habakkuk says, I've learned how to do that. I will wait patiently. He says, though the olive crop fails and all the other stuff happens, I will rejoice in the Lord. Joy happens when you no longer look at your circumstances for hope, but you look to God's character. When you say to yourself, I know who Jesus is, so I know how this has to turn out in the end. Joy flows out of that kind of faith. And then finally, Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Knowing that God has the last word creates a supernatural strength that overwhelms everything else in the meantime. Knowing that he is the sovereign Lord. Let me finish with a story this morning. Dr. Richard Steers, the former president of World Vision, talks about visiting a church in Haiti after the devastating earthquake of 2010. And he speaks of uh, entering a church building in the center of that massive refugee camp, a building, uh, a tent made from white tarp and duct tape pitched in the middle of thousands of homeless refugees. But when he stepped through the door into that church, On the front bench sat six amputees ranging in age age from six to 60 years old. And they were clapping and smiling and worshiping God full of joy and hope as was the whole congregation of the poorest of the poor. And leading them was the biggest smiler of them all, a 32-year-old single mother of two named Demosi Lafine. During the earthquake... A building collapsed on her, crushing her right arm and left leg, and after four days of trying to save them, both had to be taken off. But there she was, leading the choir, standing on a donated prosthetic leg, raising a borrowed prosthetic arm high in the air to give praise to God her Savior. He was so moved by her faith that after the service, he asked if he could have lunch with her. She said, yes, come to my house, I'll make you lunch. So he did. He came to her house, a tent, five feet by eight feet that she shared with her two children. During lunch, she explained, you know, after the earthquake and everything, I was low. But God brought me back like Lazarus and gave me the gift of life by faith. Ain't nobody can take away my joy in God my Savior because I know who He is. Because I know who He is. God wants you to feel that. God wants us to feel that. Habakkuk felt it. At the end of his short message, he says, yeah, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Now, you you only experience that when you remember 
that the grace he's given you is freely given. It isn't based on your performance. It isn't based on whether you're better than somebody else. It's based on your willingness to receive it. It's based on your simple faith. The righteous will live by that faith, both in the sense of receiving his grace and the sense of overcoming whatever happens in the meantime till the perfect end comes. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this strong message that you speak to us through Habakkuk. God, sometimes we get caught up in being superstitious about our nation or some other nation. You remind us that your kingdom's not of this world. It's in our hearts. It's within and among us. God, teach us to rest in our citizenship in heaven. Teach us to trust who you are, to look at Jesus and know, okay, that guy's got the last word. I can rest. Give us that peace, we pray, as we go out into this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Heather is uh, outside of the table. If you want to stop by, check in on her, say hi to her. We've just begun this journey in the prophets. You're going to enjoy it. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God and tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.